Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 14 consecutive years. Please help us cover all of our expenses again this year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2022. That stands a five of the hymn, O Bless the House, sung by the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. I and my house will serve the Lord. Marriage has always been an important idea, but it's more than an idea. It's a reality in the church. There are actual marriages, actual husbands and wives that the church needs to deal with. So while the church is defending the idea of marriage, which certainly needs to be done, what about the actual marriages in the congregation? Welcome back. We're going to be talking about marriage enrichment, beginning a series with Pastor David Peterson. He is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and departmental editor of God Saints, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, welcome back. Thank you, Todd. Make the case that the church needs to concern itself, not just with marriage as an idea or something that we defend out there in the public square, but individual marriages within the congregation. Well, we need to recognize that theologically speaking, marriage is the foundation of society. It is an essential building block of how God has ordered creation, that is the family, and that our people deserve help from the scriptures, wisdom from the scriptures for living out their vocation in their families. We can't assume that they're going to pick this up by observation because they might not have any good models to observe. And certainly we can't expect that the natural law will simply inform them because their reason is fallen. So we need to apply the word and we need to, to give wisdom for two reasons then. Because it is the foundation of society, this is part of the good life, what God has given for us and the way that is actually satisfying and comforting to live according to God's will. And then also because those who despise marriage or whose marriages end in divorce and and the like, statistically speaking, almost always quit coming to church, at least half of those, half of the people that, that end up in that sense and lose their salvation. So the sort of third reason maybe would be that to understand holy marriage and the order of creation is also to understand God's goodness and is kind of a necessary pre-evangelism reality. What is marriage enrichment? How are we defining that term for the sake of this series? I want us to think about kind of a marriage enrichment being more than just simply premarital instruction or trying to deal with marriages in crisis. That is, you know, something's gone wrong and they're on the edge of divorce to actually, again, you know, give biblical wisdom and help so that people would live a fuller life and so that their marriages really would be divorce-proof so that they could live this out and their vocations would be full. So how has marriage enrichment in some ways gotten a bad reputation? 
Well, I think it's got a bad reputation amongst Lutherans because it's always felt like kind of a law-based reality, you know, a moralism. You know, how are we going to sort of make people live better and be better people? And we've always been more concerned about the gospel than that. I think also it's gotten a bad rap because it's been done poorly a lot of times. But the truth is, there is good evidence and reason to think that if churches would make a deliberate, substantial effort towards teaching on marriage and teaching relationship skills, that we can actually make a big difference in the lives of our people. So for me, this what was really key was reading this book, Endgame, The Church's Strategic Move to Save Family and Faith in America. I read it a year ago because Joy Pullman told me to. So when she tells me to read books, I do it. And this is a book that was written by these two guys, John Van Epp, who's a Protestant pastor and marriage therapist, and then J.P. DeGantz. And as far as I can tell, he's just a philanthropist. He's a conservative Catholic layman that founded a uh, think tank. So this book is based upon their experience and their research. And their thesis is just what I've been saying, basically, that an intentional effort of teaching and programs on the part of churches towards virtue development and teaching relationship skills significantly strengthens faith in the people that are serviced by it. It enriches the lives and it lowers the divorce rate. And this is kind of a long story, but I want to tell it anyway. That is that these two guys were involved in this faith-based government organization when George Bush was president, and they got these grants, federal money to do relationship training, skills training in Jacksonville, Florida and other places. But in Jacksonville, Florida, they had great success. And in a three-year period, they targeted marriages that were in trouble. They were Christians, but it was a secular deal, you know, done under government constraints. And what they did was they just invited people to free classes, learn how to be a husband and wife, learn how to argue, learn how to negotiate, learn how to set a budget, all those kinds of things. They did this for three years in Jacksonville, Florida. The divorce rate went down by 24%. I mean, that's huge, right? That's a significant reality. But in the midst of doing this, of course, the government money dried up because Bush wasn't president anymore. But even before it did, they say that they started to realize that they were so constrained by the government restrictions and they didn't really think it was the right way to be doing it or the most productive way to be doing it. It wasn't wrong, but I mean, the government does have a reason to care about marriages, but this work really belongs appropriately in the church and the church can do a way better job of it. So they saw that if there really was an effort to do this, it could make a difference. And their thesis on this, which makes sense to me, is that People are really bad at this these days, largely because they don't have good role models for this. They grew up in single parent families, or they're obsessed with the internet, and just the whole, everything's just degraded. So they need to be taught this, and they need to be reminded of it again and again. So they get this idea, and they've had quite a bit of success in a number of Catholic dioceses with these as well. And this is all lined out in the book, and all kinds of numbers are giving. I mean, I don't have the expertise to be able to judge their data and to know, but it looks to me and feels to me to be very reasonable, and they seem to demonstrate this, that when they've engaged in these kinds of programs, it's made a statistical difference. I mean, it hasn't stopped divorce completely, of course, but it has helped. So then they go on and they say, well, how many churches are doing this? Oh, the other thing they they come up with in their research is that 24% of active churchgoers at any moment 
will report that their marriage is struggling. So I think we can take that to recognize that and say, this is real. Our people are struggling. Of course, I didn't need them to tell me this because I knew this because of the ministry, but I also knew this from my own personal experience. I've struggled in my marriage. There, It's not always been a happy event and a reality. So we need to recognize that people are hurting, they are suffering temptation, and how can we help them through it? At the same time, according to this book, 85% of all churches in America actually report that they give 0% of their budget, not $1, or any kind of resource or even staff efforts or time dedicated to marriage issues, to relationship issues, to helping this. The most that these 85% might provide is some kind of premarital instruction with the pastor and maybe a tiny bit of emergency or crisis counseling for couples that are about to get divorced or considering divorce in, in you know a severe state. And yet, again, you know, their data suggests that if we would actually do something productively, deliberately, it can make a huge difference. This is what they call a substantive marriage ministry. And by this, they say two or more annual date nights. I mean, this would be church-sponsored, promoted, two or more annual date nights or marriage seminars or couples groups or marriage mentoring or marriage or something, right? But, but a deliberate kind of effort. After I read this book, by the way, our congregation is doing this. We started this a year ago. It's been at least zestfully received. People have really appreciated it. I just figured, what's the risk? What if I offer a marriage seminar and it doesn't lower the divorce rate? I haven't done any harm, right? People came to church. They talked about their marriage. We did some Bible study. There was some prayer. Worst case scenario, no harm was done. But I can't even believe that would be the least good that could be done. Maybe, you know, these guys, these two guys that wrote this book are exaggerating the claims. Maybe it's not as effective as they claim. I don't know. But it's got to be some good to honor marriage and to represent it. And once I read this book, I felt simply obligated to do something to make the effort. Why is the church, I mean, there are obviously theological reasons why the church needs to be involved in this, but why is the church going to be the ideal place for this kind of thing to take place? The reason is because the church actually has an accurate worldview and knows what marriage really is. And so there is the sort of, listen, there's nothing wrong with referring people to professional marriage counselors to some degree, but we have to be aware that often if you go to a secular or a non-theological counselor, The reality is the zeitgeist, right? The spirit of our times is that the ultimate good is self-actualization. And I talked about this on this program before when I talked about the Eli Finkel book, All or Nothing Marriage, which is really a great book pastors should read, where he talks about this problem that people, modern Americans are entering into marriage looking for self-actualization, you know, that they're going to become their fullest and best person and they're looking for their soulmate. And so it's a ridiculous, idiotic ideal that really can't be met and it leads to a lot of dissatisfaction and unhappiness and divorce. But a lot of times these counselors are kind of in on it, that they're looking at, you know, two people come to them and the counselor is going to be thinking, well, you two just aren't happy together and you can't satisfy one another and you need to sacrifice the relationship for the person, right? For your own happiness, for your own self-actualization, rather than teaching them and recognizing that you should sacrifice yourself for the relationship. 
So I'm not trying to throw these counsel, you know, these other counselors under under the bus. I think they can be very helpful, very useful. My wife and I have been to marriage counseling, and it's been a mixed bag. Sometimes it's been super helpful. Most of the time it hasn't. Even when it hasn't, though, there's a ceremony of going there and also of having a third party that sits there with you and makes you talk to one another. And that's a useful and, and good thing. So I'm not throwing it under the bus, but I, we got to recognize that we can't really fully trust the world to do this. We need to guide our people in this so that they understand what's at stake and they recognize their vocations and what God is giving them and the blessings that they're risking in a sense and the damage that they're going to do if they let it go. Pastor David Peterson is our guest. Marriage enrichment is our topic. I'm Todd Wilkin. You're connected to issues, etc. Fear not, said the angel. You shepherds wake up. It's no time for a snooze. Josiah felt better. He gave streak a push. The angel said, I bring some wonderful news. Great joy to all people, the angel went on. For I come to tell you that a Savior is born in the city of David tonight. He has come to Bethlehem. Hurry, you'll be there by morn. From the Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Arch Books Treasury Christmas Collection, 12 classic arch books telling the Christmas story. It's for kids ages 5 through 9, and you can get it from Concordia Publishing House by giving them a call, 1-800-325-3040, or browse before you buy at our website, issuesetc.org. We continue our conversation with Pastor David Peterson on the other side of the break. What kind of pastoral warning would he give about marriage enrichment in the congregation? Thanks to our listeners, Issues Etc. has operated independently and in the black for 14 consecutive years. Please help us cover all of our expenses again this year by making a year-end tax-deductible gift. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we'll send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a secure online contribution today at issuesetc.org. Thanks for your support at the end of 2022. Deaconesses are women trained to share the gospel of Jesus Christ through works of mercy, spiritual care, and teaching of the Christian faith. The word deaconess means servant. Find out more on how you can serve in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod through the vocation of deaconess at lcms.org slash deaconess. Working in faith, laboring in love, remaining steadfast in the hope of our Lord Jesus Christ. LCMS Deaconess Ministry, lcms.org slash deaconess. What does it mean to be a man? The December issue of The Lutheran Witness takes up the question of anthropology. And for us as Lutherans, understanding what man is and who man is begins first and foremost with understanding who Jesus is and what he has done, how he is the perfect man. Pick up your copy today by visiting cph.org witness or visit our website witness.lcms.org to learn more. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. This is a short ad, and I don't have time to explain the whole thing to you, but you and your family need a good Lutheran church. 
You need this for spiritual nourishment and training and for the support and community that comes from like-minded Christians. Your children need Lutheran friends who can become Lutheran spouses. If you don't have that where you live, you should move. One of the places you should consider is Fort Wayne so that you can attend Redeemer, maybe send your kids to Redeemer Classical School, or just get your homeschooled kids involved with the school. Besides the church, Fort Wayne has lots to offer, including jobs. If you want to talk to families that have done just this, picked up and moved to Fort Wayne for the sake of the church, we can introduce you to some. And if you want to come for a visit, we can even help with housing. Life's too short and your children are too precious to live where you aren't spiritually fed and cared for. Your job, your income, is not the most important thing in your life. Find Redeemer Lutheran in Fort Wayne on the internet and drop us a line. We'd love to help. Educating a new generation of Lutherans. You're listening to Issues Etc. Thanks to the following congregations for standing with us by becoming an Issues Etc. congregational sponsor. Bethel Lutheran, Thunder Bay, Ontario. Emmanuel Lutheran, Dearborn, Michigan. Grace Lutheran, Columbus, Indiana. Emmanuel Lutheran, Eagle, Nebraska. Mount Calvary Lutheran, Eola, Texas. Peace Lutheran, Filer, Idaho. Risen Savior Lutheran, Basor, Kansas. St. John Lutheran, Sycamore, Illinois. St. Peter Lutheran, Indianapolis, Indiana. And Zion Lutheran, Accident, Maryland. Find out how your confessional Lutheran church can support this worldwide outreach by including Issues Etc. in your mission or advertising budget. Just go to issuesetc.org, click Support, Donate, and print a one-page flyer. When your congregation becomes an Issues Etc. sponsor, we'll publicize your church on the podcast, at our website, and in the Issues Etc. journal. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We're talking about marriage enrichment, beginning a series with Pastor David Peterson of God Esteems, the Journal of the Lutheran Liturgy. David, what kind of pastoral warnings would you lay before us before we get into the particulars of marriage enrichment in the congregation? Well, I would say, listen, every marriage needs enrichment. We all are going to go through seasons of happiness and unhappiness. Again, that Eli Finkel book lays this out in perfect corollary with this book, Endgame. And that's a secular book. But uh, the reality is that we all have to deal with the fact that there are hard times, there are difficult times. There's times when we have children that are demanding a lot of our attention or aging parents or, or whatever's going on. And we also need to recognize that we need to prepare people for marriage, right? before marriage. And there's a kind of single issue going here as well. So the problem is, is that I think what we've done for years hasn't been bad. It just hasn't been enough, you know, to just have a few sessions with those people who are engaged to be married and think that's enough to prepare people for marriage or to keep them engaged and understanding is a fantasy, right? We need to train up people before engagement. We really kind of need pre-premarital counseling, because people need to know what to look for in a spouse, and they need to know what marriage is when they're dating and what and the like. And we also need to do more than just deal with couples that are on the absolute edge of divorce or just after adultery, right? And uh, we've all experienced this as pastors. I'm sure you have too, Todd, that a couple comes to you 
and you can you you have a sense that it's probably too late and they're coming to you so that they can tell people they tried everything right so they'll have this excuse when they quit well you know we went to counseling we went to the pastor we tried but but the thing was already set so we need to do more before that right we need to help people with practical biblical wisdom in order that they would live out their lives in the goodness of God's order and we need to recognize and here i think this is We've been wrong about this in the past. We need to recognize that relationship skills are not self-evident, that they're more and more less observed in our culture, society, and even in our own families. And then just simply the reality that marriages don't run on autopilot. They require effort. They require concentration, attention, and they benefit immensely from reflection and reminders, recommitment, course corrections, the like. So a lot of this feels like, oh, let's stop divorce. And that's right. We should stop divorce if at all possible. I'll tell you a horrible story. This happened to me. This has happened to me a couple of times. But a few years ago, a woman calls me. And I happened to know at the time that she had just gotten pregnant. She's married to their members. She's married to somebody. She calls me and leaves a message and says, Pastor, please call me back. I've got something very important to talk to you about. And I could tell she was stressed. And I was terrified to call her back because I thought, oh, my goodness, you know, God forbid that, you know, that baby's not her husband's, they're getting divorced, she's had whatever, something's horrible's going on, right? So I call her back, scared, pastorally scared and hoping everything's okay. And she says to me, and this is horrible, and she says, Pastor, I've had a miscarriage. And I said inside my head, oh, thank God. And I know that's horrible. And I, I don't mean, you know, wonderful that a baby died. Of course, it's horrible that a baby died and it was heartbreaking. But to the family, to the damage that's done to the family, to the pain that they suffered, I'll take a miscarriage over divorce. I mean, think about that. That sounds like an outrageous statement. But here's the thing. There were other children in that family. There was a marriage in that family. They all had to endure and suffer and live with the grief of having lost a child. But that's that's so much less than the marriage being murdered and being destroyed and the children being raised without a father in the home and so forth. So we need to just recognize what's at stake here. To say we want to slow down or to lower the divorce rate is no is no you know side gig, you know, bonus thing. At the same time, we can also recognize the goodness of what God gives in marriage. We can endure these unhappy or these sad times and trust that God will bless us. He will give us joy. And there is goodness to be experienced in this. We can actually, I like this term enrichment, right? And we can actually learn to live in a way that is more satisfying, that's more peaceful, that's more in accordance with the gospel, to live in grace with one another, forgiving one another as those who are forgiven. This is a a marvelous gift. And if you think, if you think also just about the fact that, that really, if how the church's teaching goes on all topics, right? Whether it's about doctrine or ethics or even the gospel itself, there is a sense in what we're doing all the time is not really imparting new information. We're just reminding people, right? The gospel has to be repeated again and again and again. It's not new. It's, you know, maybe we've got a slightly new application or a new way of phrasing it or a new illustration, but it's not new content. And yet we would never dare say that, well, you know, we got the gospel. We learned that we were baptized. We don't need anything more. 
No, we, we need to keep on revisiting it, thinking about it, reminding because of our fallen flesh. And so an awful lot of what we're doing in kind of marriage enrichment and holding this up, talking about this, it's not that we've got some brilliant insight and new idea that's going to change everything. It's that it just, just has to be kept in front of us all the time because our flesh is weak, we're lazy, we forget, and we're selfish. And so that's the whole point of it, right? And, and in that way, it's not different than, than the preaching of the gospel itself. So let's get into some of, for lack of a better word, some of the tips that you found in this book you mentioned before, Endgame. It begins with destigmatizing relationship enrichment. Absolutely. So here's a quote from the book. Like it or not, marriage programs and marriage classes frequently and wrongly carry a stigma. The church's failure to fundamentally shift this mindset remains the biggest barrier to increasing participation and relationship enrichment of any kind. So, I mean, just from a theological point of view, right, to destigmatize, the first step in all fruits of repentance, really, is to recognize the reality. It doesn't solve the problem, but at least we have, we have to first become aware of it. So think of Jeremiah 3, where he says, go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, return backsliding Israel, says the Lord. I will not cause my anger to fall on you, for I am merciful, says the Lord. I will not remain angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms and so forth. So to acknowledge our iniquity, right, is to begin the process of repentance and bearing fruits of repentance and the like. Yet the kind of really first thing we've got to recognize with marriage is that no marriage is perfect. All marriages need work. All marriages require ongoing effort and work. So to destigmatize it, I think they're exactly right. We've got to at least recognize one in four of our members at any point is who are married are likely going to say that they are struggling. So let's be honest about this and let's see if we can help. The next one is to remember that every marriage kind of has its seasons. What does that mean? That's right. So they write, every relationship needs rebalancing because life comes at us fast. There's a natural deflating that occurs from good experiences of life, not just the challenges. That's to be expected in every relationship and especially in marriage. So again, an important aspect of all repentance is to recognize that nothing has befallen you that is not common to man, right? Your sins are shameful in a sense, but they're not really surprising. They're better dealt with in community than alone or pretending they don't exist for the sake of shame. And again, they're just there are seasons of unhappiness, of frustration. They're not ages. They do pass. I liken this to, it's, it's as though we're talking sometimes to a 16-year-old girl who is severely depressed and sad, and she says, my life's not worth living. I think I'll commit suicide. And we would all say the same thing to her. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's, that's wrong. You're going to, you know, you're going to hurt a lot of people. This is temporary. It seems like everything's horrible now, but it will pass. So to recognize, again, along with that Finkel book, there are seasons of unhappiness, Better days are coming. God's made a promise. Stick it out. It will be worth it. Pastor David Peterson is our guest as we begin a series on marriage enrichment in the Christian congregation. How do we deal with the flip side of marriage in the congregation that is singles there?
Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection is the perfect Christmas gift for children, grandchildren, and godchildren ages 5 through 9. This new resource is published by Concordia Publishing House. Their phone number, 1-800-325-3040. You can also purchase Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection at issuesetc.org. The Issues Etc. Book of the Month for December, Archbooks Treasury Christmas Collection, 1-800-325-3040 or issuesetc.org. This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we move farther along in St. Luke with To Call Sinners, a question on fasting, Lord of the Sabbath, man with the withered hand, and the twelve apostles and Jesus on the plain. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. Where doctrine is life. You're listening to Issues Etc. Do you need a rest from the world's headlong rush to Christmas? Someplace where you and your family can slow down and prepare for Christ's birth at the church's rather than the world's pace? A midweek evening Advent service is the perfect time for your first visit to a Christ-centered, cross-focused Lutheran church. Learn more on the Find a Church page at issuesetc.org or send an email to talkback at issuesetc.org. Did you know that Luther Academy has been providing continuing education for confessional Lutheran pastors and laypeople worldwide for more than 20 years? Luther Academy publishes Logia, the Confessional Lutheran Dogmatic Series, and Luther Digest. Find out more about Luther Academy and sign up to receive their free email newsletter at lutheracademy.com. lutheracademy.com and like them on Facebook. facebook.com slash lutheracademy. We're talking about marriage enrichment with Pastor David Peterson. He's pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana and Departmental Editor of Godstein's The Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. If you appreciate Issues Etc., your lifeline to the Lutheran worldview, please make a year-end tax-deductible contribution to support this worldwide outreach. For a year-end donation of $250 or more, we will send you our latest book, The Wittenberg Trail, Paths to Lutheranism, and a new recording of 22 hymns featuring the Lutheran Public Radio Choir. You can make a financial gift by giving us a call, 618-223-8385, or at issuesetc.org. Thanks for listening, and thanks for thinking of issues, etc. at the end of 2022. David, how do we deal with kind of the flip side of marriage in the congregation, and that is singles in the congregation? Yeah, we've got to deal with this directly. Study after study on millennial generation has shown that their number one concern is relationship and their sort of number one affliction is loneliness. I mean, we need to ask ourselves seriously, everybody listening to this program needs to ask himself, why do our children keep marrying non-Lutherans, right? Or even, God forbid, non-Christians, right? Confirmation instruction is not sufficient of itself to prepare people for holy marriage and for raising children and the like. So great marriages begin a long time before the wedding day, and we need to be looking at our children as future men and women and treating them in that way, preparing them for this. So 
exactly how we're going to do that. At least we got to begin with an awareness, and then we probably need some programmatic sorts of stuff. They can't be ignored. They need to be included, they need to be honored, and they need to be taught. How do you keep this from just becoming a small ministry of the church? How does it get integrated into everything that the church is doing? Yeah, it definitely needs to be integrated. It's not just, oh, we're going to have a marriage seminar twice a year. That great, go ahead. But, but really, all of this theologically is part of the order of creation, the table of duties, right? Our stations in life. So really what we have to do is just recognize that. And I think really we have to like repeat as a mantra, men are the heads of the households, wives are subordinate. I think we just have to say that out loud till we quit blushing about it. Pastors need to say it from the pulpit. We need to say it in Bible class over and over again. We need to say that men are the head of the household for the purpose of serving, and they sacrifice for themselves for the their wives. And we need to say that subordination is a leadership term. We're going to spend a whole hour in here talking about that. And the point that we all exist for one another right? So we take this in this recognition that we're not feminists. It's not individualism. What is the way that God has created us to live together and for what purpose, right? And so this really is everything. I mean, I just love this, you know, in the small catechism when Luther says, what sin should you confess? Consider your station in life according to the Ten Commandments, right? What defines you is not just the Ten Commandments, but are you a father, a mother, and so forth. So to recognize that, to teach that. Along with that, we need to, I think, do a better job emphasizing and teaching on the Eighth Commandment, particularly within families. The main commandment of holy marriage is not number six, it's number eight, because we are mainly beings of conversation. And as we talked on here in the past about marriage, marriage is mainly a conversation and companionship in that way. It's other things too, but that's mainly what it is. And therefore, the place it goes most wrong is with talking. And we need to kind of concrete examples about the opposite of putting the best construction on things, the way that we judge motives, make generalizations, fail to be compassionate and kind, and then the damage that that does. So, you know, you're annoyed with your your spouse because of whatever, and you let it irritate you to such a degree that you stop making excuses for her, and you start to think that that's her character, right? So it's time to leave, and she's not ready, and so you're waiting, and you don't like being late, and this is an ongoing problem. And you start to think, God forbid, you start to think the reason she's late is because she doesn't care about other people, right? So we've all done that in our, or, you know, something like that in our fallen flesh. That'll destroy marriage because you are now accusing her of being a bad person and of having ill motives, right? Which isn't a fair assumption and it's not kind. So to learn and to step back and say, whoa, what am I, what am I doing? No, she's late for some other reason, something else is going on. And this is something that happened, not who she is. So, so that kind of stuff. And again, you know, that's not new material, but that sort of thing is very helpful for marriages to, to learn how to rekindle feelings of affection and respect and to work together toward a common mission and goal. We dealt there with the eighth commandment, really. And I think that's probably the biggest insight so far for me is that this is where that internal, you're talking about marriage as a conversation, but it's also the internal conversation. 
in the mind of the husband or of the wife, isn't it? Yeah, that's beautifully said. That's absolutely right. In other words, you can break the Eighth Commandment against your wife by what you're thinking of her. Uh, yeah, and I suspect that's probably where it happens most of the time. So what else can the congregation do to say marriages, individual marriages in this congregation really matter to the whole congregation? Uh, well, one of the, the, the things that they write is that even before the COVID pandemic in 2019, the total rate of marriages hit an all-time low. So the marriage rate has decreased 31% over the last 20 years, 48% over the last 40, and 61% over the last 50. People just aren't getting married, right? They're just living together, or they're getting divorced and remarried, and they're delaying marriage. So, so all of that sort of stuff is a recognition that, again, you know, marriage and the family are completely under attack. Feminism is a big problem, but all sorts of things are. Again, I think to recognize new marriages, to honor them, and to recognize long-term marriages and people that are happily married in a way that honors them is related to the order of creation, right? To simply recognize, again, that marriage and the family are the foundation of society, not the individual. And to recognize then in a similar way that fathers and mothers are the primary teachers of their children that the church, schools, even the government all exist for the family and not the other way around. So we know this theoretically, but we forget it all the time. And institutions always become kind of self-promoting and self-important. Congregations are also, they're divine institutions, but they're also human institutions. And we can get caught up in our own preserving the institution or thinking that you exist for us rather than the other way around. So parents need to be taught their divinely given authority so that they know, like when the government's overreaching or the church is overreaching or the school's overreaching, let alone being immoral or illegal. And then also we need to, when we ourselves are acting for institutions or within institutions, we need to be checked by that reality, right? To again, recognize what's the central thing. We're here to serve the family, not the other way around. Again, I think, you know, our nearly, the Missouri Senate has almost, if not completely universal requirement for premarital instruction, right? I don't know of a congregation where you can get married in that church without going to the pastor for a few sessions where you talk about marriage. That's very useful. I think that's a good way to recognize new marriages. And besides the instruction that's given, it also serves as a kind of ceremony to recognize that marriage does require some preparation and some effort because it's a serious endeavor. So I think that's a good way to recognize new marriages. I think these kinds of things can also be recognized, you know, in the prayers of the church. And, you know, I don't know, there probably are other ways that we could do this to help foster this recognition amongst us that this is what we're about. One practical suggestion made is just to eliminate or reduce the fees and other kind of barriers associated with Christian weddings. What's that about? Well, here's what they write. Most Christian weddings no longer occur on a church's campus. Some churches won't even hold a wedding on their campuses because it's always being used for other forms of ministry. If your church doesn't make its space available, consider changing that policy and provide an inexpensive way for a couple to get married. So I think this is probably 
this one doesn't probably apply that much to the Missouri Synod. I'm guessing we're pretty good about using our churches for weddings. But it's an interesting thing that they say most Christian weddings don't happen at churches. Maybe we in the Missouri Synod, we pastors, need to think a little bit harder about not performing outdoor and wet destination weddings. And along with that, I think one of the things that we probably need to really think deeply about is this idea that weddings are somehow going to be evangelism. I've not experienced that be successful. I'm sure at some place and at some point it has. In other words, two people walk in the church door who are living together. They're not Christians or they're sort of, you know, but the church is in the neighborhood. It's pretty. They want to get married at your church. Sure, I'll do it because that'll give me a chance to witness to them. I don't know that this is a good idea. I'm not sure that really helps because I'm not sure that they're ready and they understand what's happening. But also, I think to really recognize the centrality of the church in marriage. So a lot of our guys have come up with this idea, especially with the pressure from the government, that maybe we should hand over weddings to the government, right? And then just do some kind of ceremony. I guess they do this in Germany, then have a church recognition of it later. I don't like this idea. I realize that both institutions have a role to play in this. I don't think we should hand that over. I think we should encourage our people to get married in the church, as we have been, and uphold it as a legitimate and the right way, or the most ideal way, I mean, to get married. Pastor David Peterson is pastor of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Fort Wayne, Indiana. He's departmental editor of Gottesdienst, the Journal of Lutheran Liturgy. David, thank you. Thank you. Friday on Issues Cetera, we'll talk with Dr. Carl Truman about the Church of the Sexual Revolution. We'll discuss the social impact of pandemic regulations and restrictions with Dr. Aaron Cariotti. And it's This Week in Pop Christianity with Chris Rosebro. Up next on Lutheran Talk Radio, if the 2022 service of Lessons and Carols from Concordia University, Chicago, continue listening at issuesetc.org or on the Lutheran Public Radio mobile app. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.